Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, Ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others, here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here tonight with PK. PK, so good to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing much better, darling. Thank you so much. Enjoying each day a little bit more than the one before. That is terrific. And everybody's been concerned about you, so it's so nice to see that you're on the road to recovery, making progress. Good for Definitely. you. Now, I know I you're under some serious, um, serious storm warnings tonight out there in Tucson, yeah, huh? Yeah, so if I should leave, you'll know why. They're yeah. uh, saying stay away from windows. There's flood warnings. There's everything you can think of from here clear up into Phoenix. Oh, so boy. It's, it's not as dark as could be in the especially when they start out saying stay away from windows, and I'm going, oh, my God, no. Yeah, really. So we'll I know. What they, what they have to offer. Oh, my goodness. It's always well, nice say. to have a raindrop or two, but not like this. Yeah, you need the rain, but no, you don't need the stormy part of it. So uh, tell us, we were talking off the air about this September 24th buzz. Everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people have been talking about it, making predictions, you are going to remember where you were on September 24th, 2022. But um, we're kind of all in a consensus here that it sounds more like a, a storyline than it does have any so. bearing in reality. That That's what you've come to with this, right? Well, you know, the funny part is it's a uh, time when what we're going to be looking at has to do with communications, which tells me that it could be very much nothing more than a story. It's mm-hmm. all right. about what they have to say about this, that, and the next thing. But I'm not picking up anything anywhere. We're we're in a uh, sixth universal month and a sixth year that we've been in. But that will also be a sixth day, which means it will be a personal three-day. Three deals with stories, communications of all forms. So I'm kind of thinking somebody's pulling the wool over our eyes, my dear. Yeah, sounds that way. It really does. Mm-hmm. And if anything well, really happens, it's going to shock the bejesus out of me because I don't see it anywhere. Yeah, I know, really. Well, that's good news. We've had enough lately, mm-hmm. so it's good to have something oh, to yeah. settle down. Yeah. yeah. Nothing but a little too stories much. have been coming out that really haven't amounted to a hill of beans. And those okay. and the powers that be are having a hard time getting their stories straight. <laughs> it just goes back yeah. to the same thing. That's true. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my goodness. Well, I wanted to share with you that, you know, I do a, a weekly group where we check in with our multidimensional 
<clears throat> contacts and this past one mm-hmm. we had a very unusual audio thing happen um it came in about halfway through the session and all the way through to the end until it drained my computer battery down to nothing so oh. it was really really interesting and Thanks. i brought it upstairs and afterwards and i played part of the recording for my husband Kim, who is a big skeptic, as you all know from last week's show, and he said to me, "Stop it!" He said, "Just stop playing that stuff." Yeah, he said, "I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You keep bringing these entities into the house." He said, "I wake up in the middle of the night with something nudging me. I hear footsteps. I hear noises. Stop it, please." I thought that was the funniest thing, especially after our discussion so with Dr. Cute. Biteman. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, my God. Uh-huh. So, uh, anyways, if you missed last week's show, you you missed a good one with Dr. Biteman. <clears throat> Talking about coincidence, yes, synergy. He, yeah, he was a lot of fun, and he's written a great uh-huh. book about it all. But we were laughing about skeptics, of which my husband is one, and... So anyways, and here he was kind of admitting that he felt like he was under siege from all of the, the paranormal things that are happening here at night. So anyways, now I've got it on tape, and all I need is an audio specialist to review these things for me and a photo specialist, too, because you get strange photos. But yeah, that was really funny when he finally said something about it. So... <laughs> Even if you laid all out in front of him, he's still going to argue with you about it because he doesn't want to believe what he hears and sees. I know. Yeah, I was surprised he finally admitted it. Uh-huh. But uh, it, it was it was it's really funny. It's a it's a really funny well, dynamic. You just proved I, to him the fact that you are wiser than he is because you can lay it all out. He can argue about it, but in the end, he has to admit it's there. That's right. It takes on some Mm -hmm. tangible physical form. And as you know, we have a great guest tonight, one of our favorite people in the world, Craig Campavasos here. He's got a brand-new book out, The UFO Hotspot Compendium, and we're going to be talking about all these places to go. But, you know, we had a UFO show up here, and Mm -hmm. Kim was outside when it showed up. And he was calling me in the house to come out and bring your camera, this and that. So I, I got out there, but by the time I got outside, the UFO had uh, taken off to another part of the sky, but it had been right over our property. And he was so mad at me because I didn't come out fast enough <laughs> and so I could get a good picture. So I'm like, I'm pointing <clears throat> at his hand, and I'm like, um, do you see what's in your hand? There is an iPhone you in your hand. There's a phone with a camera. Oh, dear Lord. And could you, could you think maybe you could have taken a picture before I got here? You know, up close and personal, the thing was right over your head, right? But, you know, it's so funny how people react to this kind of stuff. So it's sometimes uh-huh. so startling. It's so shocking that people forget, you know, that they have a camera. They can take a picture. But most Thank goodness most people are taking pictures today, and that's why we're seeing this stuff yeah. all over the Internet. It's amazing how many sightings there are. And not only UFOs, oh, yes. but Bigfoot. Now, remember when Romy was on, Romy is the animal communicator from Australia, and she said 
this is months mm-hmm. ago, she said there's going to be many more sightings of Bigfoot. And sure enough, that's what we're seeing. And next week, we have Scott Carpenter joining us, and we are going to be delving deep into Bigfoot. He's one of the experts. We've been very lucky to get him on the show. So the unseen becomes seen, and we'll be talking with him about this. So but let's get our guest on. So let me tell you who this yeah. very important person is. He's a big VIP, and he is a multiple award-winning filmmaker and Emmy-nominated casting director. And Craig was 15 when he started out in the entertainment business. He's, he directed, wrote, and produced the short film Stranger at the Pentagon, which was adapted from the popular UFO book authored by the late Dr. Frank E. Strange. After production, the short film collected accolades. In September 2014, it won Best sci-fi film at the Burbank International Film Festival, selling out all 275 seats, a first for the festival. In 2015, it won a Remy Award at the World Fest Houston International Film Festival for Best Sci-Fi Short, the Autobiography of an Extraterrestrial Saga. He's got, he's got all these books here. You guys got to go to Amazon. You got to mm-hmm. look up all the books. Craig is a very prolific <clears throat> and a very great writer, so all of his books are fascinating and he's he's been he's he just keeps writing i don't know when he has time to do these films because he's writing all the time he's also written the ultimate guide to grays reptilians hybrids and nordics that was released last year but tonight we're talking about his latest book it is called the ufo hotspot compendium all the places to visit before you die or are abducted what a great title it's got a great cover on it. It's a really I love good title. Oh my God, it's great! Craig, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm so happy to be here and to be here with both of you. I love you guys so much. Oh, and we love you. You're We're just so fabulous. Important. You're so much fun to have on the show. Your your wealth of knowledge. You've got personal experience, and you have so many contacts in the UFO field. And you've got yeah. a handle on one of the, the best stories. And as I was saying today, I was speaking with a friend of mine who said, oh, the legend of Valiant Thor, I would love for him to talk about that. And as you mentioned, it's in your book. So I it hope we'll get to that tonight. It is in the UFO hotspot. Yeah, I will be yes. happy to definitely yes. talk about that a little bit because I know everybody loves that story. As much they as do, I but, do. Sure. <laughs> yes, we all do. I mean, I remember reading yeah. the, uh, Dr. Frank Strange's book years ago. I mean, I won't tell you how many. But, yes, it's it's an amazing story. But you have led an amazing life. You really have so far. And I'm sure it gets better every day. But what brought you to UFOs? Tell our audience how this happened for you. Well, I literally began my casting career on Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories, right? And when the show ended is when I say my own Amazing Story began because I had a shocking spiritual awakening. I, I, I want you to think of it like this. I was the guy... That went, that got up in the morning, went to work, went out with my friends, did everything the same, went out on the weekends, 
did all of those things, never thought about what was up there in the big old cosmos, never thought about anything but life, paying the bills, and having fun. And then all of a sudden I have this ginormous spiritual awakening, and I go through this for a course of, uh, well, the first was in an eight-month period, then more of um, more of the curriculum, as I call it, uh, continued for uh, two years. So it was a major waking process from going mm. from, oh my God, what is, you know, what is this? What am I seeing? And, and this happened with three master teachers. Right. So the three master teachers were the ones that woke me up. And those stories as well are all uh, chronicled in my book series, The Autobiography of an Extraterrestrial Saga. Um, And um, uh, there's four books in the series right now, and I'm working on two prequel books. And then I'll finish it off at the end and cap it off, and then there'll be seven books in total. So um, uh, anyway, the book website, Autobiography of com. if people want to get any of the books, uh, and I Great. sign them for them. So, the, uh, so that's what got me into it. And then I just started gobbling up. You know, I lived at the Bodhi tree in the UFO section, <laughs> and I would gobble up every book I could. I would. I started going to, you know, uh, conferences. I started going to personal talks and people who were having contact and, uh, you know, things like that. I even went to a talk that Harley Bird gave before I even knew who Harley Bird was. And and Harley Bird is Admiral Richard E. Bird's nephew. Oh my and goodness. He, and he was in Project Blue Book. Now it's interesting how he got there and I have the letters to prove it that were given to me by uh his estate is that Admiral Byrd wrote to a rear admiral at the Pentagon and said, my nephew is recently married with a child and he's in the honor guard and he needs something more permanent, you know, to support a family. And we find him then working uh, at the Pentagon under intelligence, right? That, Cause I actually have his honorable discharge papers. Um, and, uh, he is there during the Valiant Thor stay. So he actually knew Dr. Frank, and he actually writes the foreword to Stranger at the Pentagon and confirms the story. Amazing. How do you like them apples? Isn't that amazing? Oh, and guess, like and guess yes, what junior definitely. high I went to? Guess what junior what? high I went to? <laughs> Richard E. Bird, Which junior one? high. 
Oh, no. Oh, really? It doesn't get it any more synchronistic than that. And it goes beyond that. I mean, there was a wonderful gentleman who had a radio show, and and he called me and he said, oh, I just, I got to have you on the show, this story, this story. He's like, I can't tell you much. I used to be in the CIA. He goes, I'm going to tell you it's true. I can only tell you that. I can't tell you much more. But. He was in a rock band, and one of the guys in the rock band was another nephew of Admiral Byrd's. Oh, my goodness, oh, for heaven's sake. <laughs> and, so, and so they said, can we write a rock and roll song about Valiant Thorne? And I said, yeah, go for it. And they did, and it was, inc- it was great. I have it somewhere. So wow. <laughs> uh, it really does get... You know, you find these things, it gets very synchronistic. And, of course, I met Harley Sun and, and had uh, in-depth conversations with him. And um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's amazing how all of this sort of coincides. And I'll just mention briefly, and then we can talk about whatever else you want to talk about, is, you know, when I was writing The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac, uh, in 2019, early 2019, um, I got a call from a lady in Canada, and she says, I'm, I'm your fourth or fifth cousin on your mom's dad's side. I'm a real genealogist, and um, I'm looking for information. And I said, great, I'll give it. And so I gave it to her. I connected her to my aunts, who are also into genealogy as much as I am. And I mm-hmm. said, look, I said, I have a biological father. All I have is his name. I said, I have done my DNA, and, uh, you know, it's on the sites. And um, she goes, oh, I can find him. And <gasps> by golly, she what? did. She found oh my him. Oh, for heaven's and, sake. And, I mean, get this. So she says, I'm sorry to say he passed away in 2006, but this is where hmm. he's buried. I said, I'm going, I'm going down to the uh, cemetery tomorrow. So I go down, I go to the front desk, and I say, who, do you have the name of whoever called when you brought this man in, you know, for, uh, you know, prepare him for the cemetery? And she looked at him, and she goes, well, yes, I do. I have an, only a name. That's all I have. Huh. And I said, well, can you give it to me? And she goes, sure. So I came home. Look the guy up. He lives around the corner from me, literally around the oh, corner from me. me. I write him a letter. I, I tell him my story. I put a picture of myself in. Two days later, I get a call from his son who says, my dad got your letter. And, um, and I said, uh, and my bio dad's name is Fred. I said, did he know who? I said, oh, did he know Fred? And he said, well, no, it's his half-brother. And I went, what? Oh, for heaven's sake. I go, so you're my cousin. You know, I go, you're my cousin. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I am. He goes, you know, usually we would say this is too weird and we wouldn't respond, but you're a doppelganger for him, right? So. Oh, my. Long story short, (laughs) this is the punchline. We all, I go to dinner with my uncle and one of his three sons, the one that called me. And it's a three-hour fun fest where my uncle is just literally 
looking at me with this big grin, so happy that his brother has a son on this planet that he didn't know about. And then so angry that he never told him. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And and I said, so just tell me everything. Tell me everything about him. And he said, well, you know, he he went into the air guard when he was uh, before 18. My mom had to sign the papers. They put him right in the Air Force when he turned 18. And he goes, oh, yeah. And by the way, he was in Project Blue Book. Oh, my God. Oh, for heaven's sake. Can that you is believe just, that? I, that is too I literally, I literally <laughs> fell off my chair, right? I go, do you yeah. know what that is? And my, and my uncle goes, well, kind of. He said, my sons are really into UFOs, so they used to badger him all the time, but he would never talk. And I said, well, wow. he's super secretive, as you know, because you didn't know about me. Right. Right. And so, um, and he knew about, he did know about me, but uh, then he said, you know, after a certain, now, by the way, he is there working in the air force in project blue book. Now blue book is stationed in a bunch of different places. Right. Yeah. Back in those times. So, He's there during the Valiant Thor time. And I'm like going, wouldn't it just be weird if he typed up that report? Could you yes, imagine? it would be. Yeah. I oh mean, my. it could literally be because my uncle said, you know, he was a very fast typist. And my guess is he was a paper pusher for a general because he could type things up fast. Now, I've seen a lot of Blue Book reports, and, you know, they do sign them or whoever typed them up, you know, whoever did them up, you know, you'll have either a first initial or the first and the last name. So, and then my uncle said, and then he just, you know, he got tired after a while, and he, and he decided he did not want to have a military career. Now that's a story he told, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking yeah. to myself, okay, or did he find out too much and it freaked him out and he wanted to get out, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so he comes home and um, he meets somebody who helps get him into the IATSE union and he becomes the head of construction at Warner Brothers for film and television. Okay. Yeah, like, here. This is too much. He, I have <laughs> oh his God. career. He's yeah. doing Blue Book. I'm doing MUFON. I'm in casting. He's in set building. Good grief. Can you believe that? I mean, I mean talk it's, about it's the power of genetics. Story. Yeah. I know, right? The power it, of genetics. This genetic, is all in your right? genes, so. Craig. Yeah. It totally is. Yeah. It There's totally no is. escaping just, it. Oh. No escaping it. You know, I loved I, I, I loved my father who's no longer with us. Uh, but I just wanted to know about my biological father. I never saw a picture of him. I now have pictures. I have his dog tags, you know. Oh, my great. uncle's given me everything that he had. And, um, and I get to see my uncle all the time. And today's my uncle's birthday and my aunt's birthday as well. Wow. Oh, my so, God. Wow. 
it's uh, huh. you know, it's it's just like this incredible kismet, and I could just feel the joy, you know, that Fred, you know, that I finally connected and was able to learn all about him. And then I found out I, you know, I had a stepbrother and two stepsisters. They flew out and met me. And one of my stepsisters just sat there crying. She goes, oh, my God, you look just like him. You look just like him, you know. So it's like I've got this new incredible family, and I love each and every one of them, and they love me just as much. So it's one of those nice stories. That is a That's heartfelt wonderful. story. Gosh, I love yeah, hearing this. It is. Great. Sure. Oh, yeah. So wonderful that you found each other. Thank goodness yes, for that genealogist that she knew what she was doing enough to track oh. him down. Isn't you that know, it's, it's interesting. And another uh, person in Mufon uh, uh, also had biological parents, and I uh, hooked him up with her and. Uh, she found his parents right away. They were, uh, and so he got to learn who his bio family was as well. That's great. So, That's yeah, it's great. amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. So, well, anyway, so here we all are in this big UFO field. <laughs> yeah. Your whole family's involved with it. Well, and, yeah. and who knows? Your father could have met Valiant's Thor, right? And not only just written up he a report about it. Absolutely. He absolutely could have. I mean, I've, I have met several people who met him way back when who were separate from Dr. Frank and some who knew Dr. Frank. And you have to remember, in the early days, especially in the 50s and the 60s, they were much more accessible. Uh, they were they were really gun ho in in educating people about where this world was going with atomic bombs and war and pollution mm-hmm. and and you know how we went down the wrong path and went with Edison and not um, Tesla. Uh, Tesla, yeah. thank you. You know because yeah. we'd mm-hmm. be in free energy right now if we were with Tesla. So right. Uh, so anyway, it it uh, just amazing. Now, Valiant Thor, the story about him was that he came from Venus, right, and he didn't come alone. And catch us up on this a little bit. Tell us more about how this came to be. Well, as as I, I want to just give you a little. Um, a little thing about uh, because when I had my spiritual awakening, I started working with these masters because they said, you came here to write these books. And so they were profoundly channeled by these higher beings, which were some were very advanced extraterrestrial. Some were created beings um, and, and so on. So, how they shared it is they sort of sat their soul inside my body so I could feel who they are. This is another form of telepathy. It's Mm -hmm. more of the feeling part of telepathy. And then you understand who they are. And so when I wrote the autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga, even the main character, Tehran, who's a Pleiadian, I mean, 
in the beginning, I would cry every morning when I would start to write, and I would cry for 15 minutes. If a creative wow. being sat inside you like Valiant Thor, it's a half hour. Mm-hmm. You can't stop crying. You know, when I was telling uh, a, 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 an, an agent about the story, um, she started crying. Because she connected right in, you know, connected right into his pure energy. So, um, so that's how, um, that's how uh, that worked. And so when I was writing uh, The Stranger of the Pentagon script, you know, I sat with Dr. Frank for almost two years just interviewing him, right? And mm-hmm. hearing all the stories and all of that and then trying to, to construct the script, um, and then finally came, you know, to uh, a perfect happy medium. But I also got to feel who all of they were, all of who all of uh, everyone on his craft were as well. So I started feeling and hearing their voices, and um, so it is a it's a really profound experience. So it is he did come. And, uh, like, Venus is a stopover for a lot of people in this part, this neck of the woods in the solar system, right? So okay. it, it's on the interior of the world. All of the planets in our solar system are populated. They're only populated on the inside. So you have to think of it as them terracing floors like a giant craft, right? And Mm -hmm. then they have in settings, they have these things called synchrotron skies, which go from day to night. Some floors stay in day, some floors stay in night. And so you have the same feeling as being on the outside of the planet, but what you don't get are all the harmful rays and bombardments from uh, the universe, but also when they have a controlled setting, they can keep the resonation field correct. So their cellular structure remains intact, and that's how they look young. They look 30 years old forever, and they're hundreds and hundreds of years old. Some, some Some are thousands of years old. Valiant Thor created beings are immortals, right? Mm-hmm. So I, in my, and this is my belief, I believe that he came originally from the Pleiades and then was there waiting for his mission to start. Because Dr. Frank said he got here many, many years before his mission started and he was coming back and forth to Earth, Right. And he said mm-hmm. that he had told him he was very anxious to start his uh, mission here, right? And, yeah. um, and what's interesting is part of that mission was also to um, show us how to rejuvenate ourselves so we can stay young and we could prolong our lives similar to what George Van Tassel had in 19, it was either 52 or 53 when he met Saul Gonda 
a Venusian um, who came and landed out at Giant Rock Airport in which George was running. It was around 2 a.m. And he gave him the blueprints on how to build a machine called the Integratron, which would do the same exact thing. So it was interesting that there were other cases that were coming and also were laying this information. So, um, but Valiant Thor, when his mission started, it was on uh, March 16th, 1957. Um, and he lived in a Pentagon apartment uh, for three years, which is below the Pentagon. And, um, Major George Feiler, who is a, a New Jersey uh, MUFON state director and was a major back in the times that Valiant Thor was at the Pentagon where he was, he said he would be walking down a corridor with uh, another officer and the officer would say that's, that's where he is during the day, meaning Valiant yeah. Thor, right? right? That's where the extraterrestrial is. And um, so it, it, you know, it's just fascinating to hear uh, everybody's stories and things. And ever since I met the short and made the short film, somebody put Valiant Thor's name on a whole mess of books, right? And I'm like, yeah. okay, well, he didn't write any of those books, right? And it's so funny because <laughs> oh, no. people come up to me and go, oh, I've read every book that Valiant Thor wrote. And I said, he never wrote a book. Oh boy! You know, he was <laughs> How disappointing. Of, yeah, he was an advisor on one of Dr. Frank's books. But anyway, it uh, you know so that story had, to me a, is yeah. I've got a question for you, Craig, because here he is, obviously an extraterrestrial. The Pentagon knows he is who he says he is, and yet he didn't seem to have much influence on these military people and these politicians, I mean, because look where we are today. Um, How come? I mean, he was, seems like a very gentle person. He wasn't forceful about it, but Right. He is. And uh, the way Dr. Frank described him, he said, he's extremely kind and gentle. He said he has a very important, one of the most important jobs in the universe and um, he said, but he could he could put down an iron fist if needed. Now, a created being is created from the Godhead. And basically what that means is, poof, you're now in existence. And you have a mission. Uh, Creative beings usually um, oversee sections in the universe so that they can go and help with squabbles, planetary squabbles, uh, things of that nature as well. Now, Mm -hmm. uh, he has, he's in charge of uh, this sector that earth is in. And, um, uh, he he explained everything to them, right? He can't make them do anything. It has to be of their own free will, right? And because yeah. we know that if you force somebody to go down 
a course that was not meant to be, then you're going to have more problems much later on. So, but he did give them the information. President Eisenhower and Vice President Nixon were actually for his proposal. Uh, okay. But everybody else was against it because it would put doctors, nurses, pharmaceutical companies, electric companies, they would put everybody out of business because we would become sovereign beings. We would no longer be under the control of other influences, right? So that was the big reason way back when. And, um, And it's interesting to bring this to light now because, um, in me doing the film and everything, it's not, it's not putting the blame on, uh, the government or those people that were in power back then It's being made to heal that situation so that we can move forward. Right. It's not a blame movie at all. It's a healing movie and um, and you have to know that a created being has immense foresight. They know what somebody's going to think. They know what what they're probably most likely going to do, right? And yeah. but they still go through the motions and they still try and hopefully something will get through. Unfortunately, it did not back then, but he only went away for a year when he left here and he came back and he's been here ever since. So he's really here to uh, shepherd us also into, um, um, you know, ascension and moving into the next dimension and for all of us to rise up out of duality and become fully sovereign beings in charge of our own selves, which is really amazing and really powerful. So, and as we know, really ever since the seventies, even when Shirley McLean started writing her books, um, it was just, everything started clicking and started going faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And, you know, even though, it seems like we're on a, a crazy path right now. It's always going to get like this before it evens out. So Yes. I can't yes. wait yeah. for it to even out. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Um, but you have these, these. This is just one of many stories in this great book you've written. And uh, you also said you give the coordinates of where the ship is, but most people wouldn't yeah. be able to see it. Right. That's right. Yeah. So the the coordinates are at Lake Mead. I've been there. Um, if it's a calm day, uh, Dr. Frank said if there's no wind, sometimes even though it's bleeped into the next dimension, what they do is they have they can still look into the third dimension from their, uh, you know, from their. Uh, how do you explain it? from their windows, which are basically the outer part of the craft because they can make the metal transparent to see through, right? Oh, okay. 
So they can make the entire ship transparent, and you can look out from all angles and see uh, also what's going on. Or when they would bring Dr. Frank in, they would open up what they called the very shield. They would pick him up at the hotel, and um, they would drive the car, and the very shield would open up. And the only point of origin that you could see inside the hull of the craft was if you were looking in the same direction that, I mean, that the car was. And then they would drive up and into it. Um, But they always made sure that uh, nobody was around and that kind of stuff. Some people did try to follow Dr. Frank at certain times, and they found themselves lost, and they had no idea how they got lost, (laughs) which I think Ah. is funny. Um, uh, Some of the members did. Yeah, some of his members did see Val and uh, Don, one of his vice commanders, and a, a few others, you know, in the hotel because they would always come and visit him and things like that. And, uh, you know, how many people, um, how many Venusians or however many ETs are with Valiant Thor? Uh, on this mission? Because it wasn't just him. There were others, right? Oh, there's a lot. He, So he has, um, I can't remember how many craft, but they're stationed. Um, the Victor One craft are, uh, let me see if I have it here, how many there are. Um Okay, so what we have, what we have is they're stationed in 284 locations in and around the Earth. Now these are the Victor One class saucers. They each hold 200 people, so they are constantly monitoring, um, uh, malevolent people in high positions. Um, they are monitoring the pollution levels. They're monitoring the dimensions. They're monitoring um, everything that they can uh, from their craft. And then he built his own starship, which is 14 miles long and seven miles wide. I have a picture, an artist's rendering of it that Dr. Frank had done that's actually in the UFO hotspot. And, um, it's really quite spectacular. Now, this is where all of the beings from all over the universe are who are here helping. Um, a lot of them are human. Some are non-human. But a lot of the ones that are human don't have the colors of skin that we have on Earth, right? Hmm. Some, of them, some of them have a blue tint, a green tint, a violet tint. Dr. Frank told me that he once, when he was on the starship, that he actually saw a a rainbow wash tint of skin. He said it was really beautiful. And he saw some beings who had a zebra uh, kind of skin. And I, I always just put that in the back of my head and didn't think about it. And then I was watching uh, Linda Moulton Howe talking about something, and she's talking about contactees having contact with beings that had zebra skin. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go, right? So yeah. Oh, interesting. It, it's fa- yeah, it's just fascinating. So 
So there are, and not only him, you know, the rest of uh, the rest of the universe, uh, all, all the beings who are here helping and other uh, starships, motherships, everything really here monitoring and uh, really looking out for us because this is a big deal, this transformation of Earth that's going on mm-hmm. right now. It's a huge deal. And especially for them, because, you know, they've never learned duality. They, they are not dualistic beings. So it's interesting for them to learn. Now, Teal, who is one of the vice commanders on Valiant Thor's ship, um, she actually teaches universal beings about Earth duality. And the the humans from Earth that have been invited on the craft, she teaches them about the other, uh, a lot of the various fully conscious uh, beings as well and teaches them and gives them a little bit of a universal history lesson. Now, Dr. Frank got a lot of those um, as well. So it's... Uh, it's going to be a fascinating movie, you guys. I can't wait. You know, we're we're still we can't wait. The money. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. Me neither. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be super. Yes. Now, I was interested in the UFO Hotspot <laughs> Compendium that you added Mothman, one of my very favorite cryptids in the whole <laughs> wide world. And what's yeah. the UFO connection with Mothman? Well, the the thing is, is that nobody really quite knows where Mothman came from, right? They yeah. don't know <laughs> if Mothman traveled in a craft. Um, they would, we uh, there. There would just be sightings of him. You know, there was the teenagers that that saw the Mothman there many years before that. There were sightings um, of a flying man in a cemetery that was witnessed by three people. Um, And uh, so uh, a good friend of mine, paranormal investigator Chip Coffey. Now, Chip has been to the site, and he told me everything about it and what he felt, and he, he really feels that the Mothman was a, was a being that came to warn, that, that there was mm. nothing malevolent about the Mothman because he never harmed anyone right. uh, yeah. like that. Um, now, why did he chase the teenagers in the car? I don't know. Was the Mothman at that time using the TNT area as a home or as a thing, and it was territorial, we don't know. But uh, I just found that interesting because, you know, those bunkers that are there in the TNT area, you know, they're small and they're just cement and, um, you know, it's really uh, sort of dark and dank area, that type of thing. And um, so... I also was able to um, uh, to have uh, major conversations uh, with other people about the Mothman. Um, 
I also, uh, Seth Breedlove, who made the Mothman uh, documentary, right? Mm-hmm. He, uh, right. you know, we got a lot of updated information there. Worked with the Mothman Museum as well. And um, so I, I was able to get out there and, you know, dig into a lot of researchers, uh, MUFON, some MUFON now, some MUFON of past, and then also other researchers who really dug into this material and had firsthand accounts. Because it's interesting, when I would initially talk to a certain amount of people, they would tell me their perspective of the story, right? Like, yeah. uh, I was talking to one person about the Kecksburg UFO. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, that was proven fake. And I'm like, it was, then, then uh, why should I do it? So then I started researching. I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. There, there yeah. was like so much evidence. I mean, eyewitness testimony, evidence, and everything uh, there. Uh, we still don't know what it was, but it was acorn-shaped, and it had hieroglyphics written along the side of it. So we've got a great, um, you know, one of the, uh, sketch artist over at the uh, publishing house did a wonderful sketch of that and you know the goblins and uh, uh, the Flatwoods monster and you know all those things of uh, lore from you know a while ago that still fascinate us um, but we've got the current stories but um, you know how the book came about is the head of MUFON sent out um, an email to all the MUFON state directors saying, please elect your favorite hotspots of where the most UFOs are seen. So they all sent them in. They all sent them to me. And then I went through them and uh, I I hand picked uh, the top spots. And then of course, places that I have been where I've seen them as well. And then, you know, there was one, one spot uh, that is one of my favorite stories. I had heard this story for so long because a friend of mine used to work at the Bradshaw ranch, which is just outside of Sedona. And, Mm -hmm. Uh, Bob Bradshaw owned this ranch. He was he was a cowboy, and then they started doing rodeo shows. And my friend worked there at that time, and um, and this place is so remote. You have to have a four wheel drive, right? And mm-hmm. my friend who worked there took me there, right? And we had to park, and then we had to hike in quite a ways. And I am not kidding you. I have never in my life, I am, I'm a sentient. I can feel things. I could feel the dimensions opened up all around there. And I could feel things in there looking like at us walking. It was the most unnerving feeling I ever had. And then I went back uh, a few years later uh, with a friend in a, uh, in a Jeep. We rented a Jeep to get back there so we didn't have to hike in. 
Yeah, and you can look in from around the parameters of it. It's all fenced off, and you can see it fine. Now it's all dilapidated now, but they used to have these uh, shells, and, uh, you know, so I got to hear all the firsthand accounts from not only the researcher who researched it, Back then, Tom Dongo, I'm sure. Have you ever had Tom on your show? Oh, yeah, a couple of times. Oh, yeah. The wild man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. He knows some stuff. So, he does. Um, he does. He really knows what's going on there in Sedona. And, yeah, and he spent a lot uh, of time there. I know he talked to us quite a bit about what some things that happened with time shifts and portals and things like yeah. that. It's, oh, it's yeah. quite active. Over there, but let me ask you another question too, and we can always yeah. come back to Bradshaw Ranch, Ranch. But you also have Gulf Breeze, and you were mentioning how some people think some of these cases are fake. And Gulf Breeze went through some of that, where people were saying, "Oh, it never happened," and there was a model in the guy's house. But I always felt yeah. that Gulf Breeze was a real deal. What What are your thoughts on Gulf Breeze? Well. Uh, I, from all of the evidence, it's that the move, uh, MUFON, uh, the man that, uh, did it, I'm just trying to find it in the book cause I can't remember his name. Um, let's see. Oh, here we go. Here we go. So, so in the end, John, uh, Sussler, who was the international director and founding member of MUFON, uh, he said that the Pensacola area had experienced over 130 UFO incidents that were seen by over 200 witnesses. MUFON's Donald Ware stated that the Gulf Reed's reports included 135 witnesses. Four of those witnesses reported seeing alien beings, while six reported seeing blue beams, and nine reporting missing time, which raised the possibility of alien abductions, right? So yeah. his position declared that he was convinced that the UFO sightings were proof of alien visitation. And um, at that time, it was a super hot spot. Now, it seemed from when I, when I read the Gulf Breeze book uh, by uh, the Walters, the husband and wife team, and seeing the pictures, you could see the craft and you can see it shooting down. Now, here's how people try and and discredit people who are having real accounts, right, is they make a model and they plan it somewhere. They did the same thing with Billy Meyer, right? Okay. They did this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and sometimes they may have built a model to show you what it looked like, right? But the, the one in Gulf Breeze just happened to be found by the new person that lived in the Walters house in the attic made up of paper plates. <laughs> and yeah. uh, they were able to put this in the air and make it glow blue and look like a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so 
Right. Anyway, it, it's interesting because even Paul Hynek, uh, who I love and adore, uh, you know, the son of J. Allen Hynek, he even goes in and talks about um, how they, you know, the government had all of these people who were out there like Philip Class and all of these people who were out there to sway you away that they would control even, you know, uh, the papers making uh, jokes about flying saucers and things like that. So it actually sort of takes everyone's mind and makes it seem crazy. And then here's the kicker is, did the government have anything to do with all of those crazy flying saucer movies to make people think that it was just science fiction. And I'm going to tell you why, because I just did an interview with Steve Bassett, right? And I did some research, and I found through another researcher who's in the film business that through the Freedom of Information Act, he went through 30,000 pages, and he found over 2,500 incidents of where the government paid for film and TV shows, also had, uh, had say in their scripts and that kind of thing. So you take Maverick, for instance. Now, Maverick has nothing to do with UFOs, but, right. and I can totally see the government's position, is they want to see that if we're going to lend you our toys, then we want to make sure that your script is going to show us in the best light, meaning even Mm -hmm. the people within the Air Force. So um, I totally understand that. But I think that's interesting because going back to Major George Filer at the Pentagon back in the uh, Valiant Thor days, He said, you know, Craig, I was on an airplane once, and lo and behold, I'm sitting next to Michael Rennie, who played Klaatu in The Day the Earth Stood Still. And he said, Rennie told me that the U.S. government funded that film because they wanted to see what the public's reaction would be to a human being arriving on Earth from somewhere else. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. So that film, I think, was released in 52. Now, there was a precursor where extraterrestrials came to tell our government that a universal emissary would be coming at some time in the future. Mm -hmm. And... I know that Dr. Frank told me that Valiant Thor was coming. He knew he definitely was coming in the 30s, right? So he was already Mm -hmm. in his station in Venus and then in craft here. And then, uh, so, the, uh, oh, God, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Just remind me. Well, let's see. You were going with a universal, uh, somebody was going to show up, and 
Valiant oh, right. Thor was already here in the 30s, but there was right. something about seeing how people would react to this with the movie well, how they that would they react funded. To it. So, mm-hmm. so here is here's a million dollar question: Did they know prior to that film being made to see what the public's reaction would be before he arrived, to see if they would tell the world about him or not? Hmm. See? Yeah, they've always got their their mitts on this stuff. Yeah, they've always got their hands on this stuff. And I remember, too, Mr. Walters from Gulf Breeze did a presentation, and he did a great presentation about everything that had happened to them through all of these sightings. But the government went in with their disinformation agents, and they Mm -hmm. started these rumors about Mr. Walter being an alcoholic, and he was seen right. frequenting all the bars. And t- Meanwhile, it was a dry town. There weren't any bars. Right. But, I mean, yeah. it's stupid on their part, but that kind of, of thing where there, this character assassination to basically uh, make people think that they weren't credible in what they were doing, it's just it's so reprehensible, and there's no excuse for it in my book. It's Never should well, happen. But we, it, it, it is, and, and the same uh, with Travis Walton. Like they're coming up oh, out of yeah. the woodwork again, trying to discredit him. So I work very yep. closely with um, uh, my friend Jennifer Stein, uh, who works closely with Travis, and, and of course I know Travis. And so we ironed out the chapter in the book to bring everybody up to date with all of the new information on that case. And a lot of it is interesting. So do you remember like the DVD cover of the ship that had, that was yellow? So the ship Mm -hmm. that, that shoots the beam down, it's this specific looking ship. That's ye- that's yellow and it has these black lines going through it. It's, you mean the like one that came and got the one that got Travis? Is right. that the one you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, I'm talking to uh, Jennifer one day and I and I said, well, I just found it fascinating because a lot of the new information is, uh, you know, there were these Nordics on board the craft that he remembered and that um, actually took him uh, as well after he had the initial with the Greys, which freaked him out. And uh, anyway, so he went in through, you know, some, uh, uh, through a big bay into another part of the ship, and he's trying to tell them what just happened and what have you. And then they lay him on the table, and they, you know, they put that device on him again, which which he believed is what healed him from whatever, you know, if he got radiation poisoning or or what have you. But yeah, I from said, that yeah, I say, you know, Jennifer, that ship has never been seen anywhere else but with you. And I said, Dr. Frank gave me actual photographs of that very ship on an Air Force base. And he said, oh, by the way, some generals gave me this, the, these photos. This is a real, these are real pictures of a Pleiadian craft. My goodness. 
So, there you have it. Yep. So there you have it. They're Canadian. So, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Amazing. It's so and, interesting. Yes. And yeah. also, this, the story with Travis is in the book. So everybody, if you want the latest information, Craig wrote about it in the mm-hmm. UFO Hotspot Compendium. You can see it there. So we have a, a guest who is waiting patiently to ask a question. So let me bring them on the sure. air. Hi, you're live on the air. Who's this? Hi, this is Drew. Hello, Hi, Drew. Drew. Do you have a question for Craig? Um, no, I just wanted to thank Craig um, for all the work he's done in kind of validating abductees' experiences. So I just want to thank him. You a lot. Oh, uh, thank you. You're abducted. welcome. I really that's appreciate very it. Sweet. So. Yeah, yeah, thank well, you. Well, I, I look at abductions as as if people are feeling it being negative and against their will, or if you're brought on a craft and it's a good experience, then you're an experiencer. That's how I mm-hmm. sort of differentiate mm-hmm. the two um, mm-hmm. in my mind. Yeah. So... Oh, well, thank sense. you, Drew. So nice of you. I really appreciate that. You know, I I think I do work experiencer hard. Then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Experience uh, because it, it's done with your with your soul's permission, your your higher self's mm-hmm. permission, and a lot a lot. If you're you're most likely a star seed, and that's part of your contract. Mm-hmm. And being a star seed means that they can come and they can bring you up and they can just sort of re-educate you. They can Mm -hmm. uh, help to elevate your consciousness. They can, Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes just being up there and being in a home environment really just brings you such great joy. I know so many people I've talked to have had that experience as well. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, me, me being in the industry, I ask actors all the time when I'm talking to them, I'm like, do you have any UFO experiences? And wow, some of them (laughs) have some really amazing ones, like amazing Mm -hmm. ones. One, one actor I just talked to, um, uh, literally said I was in a room looking at these hybrids. And wow. I knew what he wanted to say, and I said, those were your children, right? And Ooh. he goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, that's what was being conveyed without words. Oh, my gosh. And I said, and I said did you feel a connection to them? Did you feel a love for them? And he said, yes, I did. And I said, well, you have to look at that because they're really, you know, part of Earth moving into this next phase is through this hybridization program. You know, hybrids aren't here to take over the world. They're here to be, uh, because they're going to be fully conscious and they're going to be um, placed all over the earth as well. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be teachers for the rest that are moving up into this next dimension and that mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that they're human and grays. There's many that are just, that are human hybrids, right? It might mm-hmm. just be mm-hmm. from, you know, your, your genetics here and then maybe a Pleiadians, 
right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know many hybrids that are on this planet right now where the DNA was actually put in the embryo but way back when. And some of them, they can actually inject it into the DNA later in life as a child or as an adult. And then all of a sudden, you're, you have these new abilities. And, so it can happen to you anytime. Yeah, it can. It absolutely can. Yeah. I mean, I one of my dear friends, she had four kinds. She was the kindest, sweetest thing she's passed on, but she had reptilian and three humans and three human kind of DNA. So oh um Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Could, Just amazing. So Her she, father was in the could military. Shape shift into a reptilian? No, she she couldn't, but I have heard stories of that, um, mm-hmm. interestingly enough, and uh, but I, I've never seen it, uh, but I, I have in the UFO community, there are some people who have done some research and, and said that some of these, some of them can, and I said, well, gosh, it would be so amazing to actually get that on film, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would. Yeah. So, yeah, because, uh, again, you know, not all reptilians are bad. It's just, it's like they say, you know, there's good and bad in every race. And even though they may mm-hmm. be fully conscious, there's always going to be renegade offshoots that digressed and that they band together yeah, and people like do their little thing. Yeah. So. Well, Drew, thank so you so you much know, for your call. The people would teach, you know, like the, the, uh, the ones who you said that they would teach about like the next level, they would teach like humans. Yeah. Like how do you think they yeah. would teach? Like how have you noticed? Well, the a lot of the teachings is about raising your spiritual vibration and how to do that mm-hmm. and how to work with bringing your your seven chakras and then bringing in the the five fully conscious, the five more additional chakras that move into the body. And then mm-hmm. your seven merge into your heart, and then the new five are your fully conscious chakras. So all of those are mm-hmm. – I, I go through that whole thing, even with charts and the autobiography and the extraterrestrial saga books as well, if you're mm-hmm. interested. So, cool. I, I'm definitely yeah, with charts because and my, everything. Like my experience, I, I was on the ship, but I was only on there once, and – they were just trying to teach me what time is and mm-hmm. I thought it was or like what humans think it is. And I was right telling them that like, it's about going around the sun and they were like, that's a measurement of distance relative to an object. That's not time. Time is something else. Yeah. And I did, I just could not understand the concept. And then I, then I was off the ship. So I don't know if I I failed the wow. test. <laughs> what? It's hard to wrap your wow. mind around, isn't it? Gosh. Yeah. I still don't know what it is. <laughs> but here here's the thing: you do, but you just haven't allowed it to come through. So this gets mm-hmm. this gets downloaded into your consciousness, and when you're mm-hmm. ready. You, it, it'll just start coming through, and it may even come through as intuition, because a lot of downloads mm. come through as intuition. Because 
They mm-hmm. can't tell you things to make you go on a path. They can, they can show you things for you to make your own decision. So okay. look at it like that. So they're kind of like hands yeah. off. Like they kind of give you the tools yes, and let you exactly. do as you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's your choice. Right. That's, that's why you're a, that's why you're, you know, a sovereign being. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the next, that's that. the next topic I want to get us on. Drew, thanks again for your call. Really appreciate it. Yep. So here is my question to you, Craig, because there is, there is so much said that, the ETs don't interfere. But I don't find that to be true. They do interfere. I mean, if you look at how much livestock they've taken, cows, elk is a big thing for some reason. They love to take our elk. And they also do things to people without their permission. A lot of people are traumatized. A lot of people have nightmares about what's happened. So I, I don't... Uh, you know, I'm but not those sure. Are, those are malevolent. Those are malevolent aliens, right? So mm. I look at all the benevolent beings as extraterrestrials. Created beings are more and are the angelic kingdom, all right? Mm-hmm. Then in the malevolent uh, realm of beings, we call them aliens, right? So those are the beings that are doing things against people's will that are raping them for their genetic materials. Um, I have heard horror stories. I mean, as we know, uh, in the book, I, I have a whole in-depth of uh, uh, Alvin Parker's horrific ordeal on board uh, the craft where those alien robots took him and Hickson in. Right. And... That was the malevolent alien woman being on that craft was so evil that he today, even in his own book, and I've talked to the publisher and everything, will not speak of the horrendous thing she did to him. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, um, you know, and that you know that particular uh, that particular case, you know, you're traumatized. You're literally traumatized. I've met Outside, other yeah. people who have been abducted, and they've been traumatized. Uh, you know, one guy had eye implants all around the back of his eyes, so the aliens were seeing everything he was seeing. Um, he literally pulled his eyelids and everything up for me to see. Um, uh, you know, people have just had, some have had these horrific experiences, and then you say, okay, well, how can you ward them off? And again, you can literally ward them off by using, you know, if you're a Buddhist, call on Buddha, you know, Christian, Jesus, Muhammad, whatever force to, to uh, say, and, um, you know, to keep them away so that you can keep your own sacred space, right? And you have to create that. Yeah. I've heard that South America, for some reason, has more of these horrible abduction 
scenarios where people are seriously injured, skinned alive, mm-hmm. uh, very un- yeah. very horrible types of things. But why South America? Why why do more things that are nefarious well, take place there? Because a lot of the people aren't going to be as traceable as here. Interesting. Right? Oh. Yeah. And, and but there is a really benevolent race that, that has been visiting many South American, and for some reason it's men that they, uh, they choose as face-to-face contactees or the Alpha Centaurians. And um, they actually land in remote villages. They help the sick. They, uh, they heal them. Uh, if their crops need water, they make it rain for their crops. They do all kinds of uh, things. And um, I have a whole story about one of the major contacts where six people were taken into the forest in Mount Shasta in the book to meet this Alpha Centaurian named Antaral. And one of my dear friends was there to eyewitness it. So, oh my. you know, there's all these amazing, amazing stories. And, you know, for, for people who love to go on a UFO bucket list, for instance, I have the coordinates in the book to where Valiant Thor's craft is at Lake Me. I have the coordinates to where George Adamski met Orthon uh, in, in the desert. Uh, I have the coordinates to where the Socorro case happened, you know, the Lonnie Zamora case, which is also in the book with all the updated information as well. And um, so uh, all of those, um, including Falcon Lake, which was, uh, oh, my God, you know, another amazing case in Canada, uh, the coordinates to that. But that's quite a hike. And also the coordinates to where it happened with Travis Walton. Right. So, yeah. um, And what's what's fun about the book is you get to read the updated story and then I tell you um, about all the things you can do when you're visiting the site and then the information of, you know, phone and uh, information like, for instance, if it's Giant Rock and the Integratron, um, if you want to have a tour of Giant Rock, I have the historian's name and contact information in the book so you can get a private tour and learn about the history. And she'll even take you out there at night to Skywatch. You know, you just oh, bring chairs nice. and all of that. It's so cool. I've done it with her. And then if you go to the Integratron, it gives you what you can do there. Uh, you get these incredible sound baths up on the second floor, and they give you a mini history about it. And then on the on the uh, first floor, you can look at all of the various things from that uh, time period uh, about the Integratron as well. And it's um, those two places. I mean, right there, you're gonna you're probably gonna see UFOs. Um, East Eddy Ranch, you're going to almost see a UFO or many UFOs at night there. Um, there are day sightings as well. 
And, of course, in Sedona, I always take night vision binoculars. I see them all the time in Sedona. I even caught a metallic orb traveling from Bell Rock past Courthouse Butte in Sedona. I was driving in my car, and I saw it, and I went, oh, my God. I grabbed my phone, and I clicked off a few and prayed I got it, and I did get it. So I actually Yay. have a photo in the book. Goodness. And also on Bell Rock, I had gigantic Glinda the Good Witch orb phenomena. <laughs> Unbelievable. I love that. well, that's what I call them because they're huge, like Glinda the Good Witch. <laughs> that's so, great. Um, yeah, so it's really cool. You know, just all of this stuff. Because usually paranormal and UFO are sort of connected, there's always going to be some kind of component there. Sure. Yes, yeah. there always is. And, and it's the book is so much fun to read. And, again, you put perspective on everything. <clears throat> but it's great that people can go to these locations and walk in the footsteps of Travis and some of these other people that have had these amazing experiences. But East Eddy Ranch is another very, uh, very fascinating place and quite the yeah. hot spot. <laughs> For sightings. Now, I remember when we had him on the show and John uh, Gillibrand, right? Isn't that his name? Um, uh, James he, Gilliland. Yeah. James Gilliland. That was close. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, um, <laughs> he was talking right. about the, <laughs> the different colors of the ships. And he said when they see yeah. a red ship, they know to stay away from it. It's, it's, it's malevolent. When they see a blue ship, they know it's a good one. That's okay to make contact with. So uh, have you seen any of the red ones versus the blues up there on the ranch? I have not. I have not. Um, what, what I, when I was there, uh, what I saw were ships darting back and forth through the sky through night vision binoculars. And then they decided uh, one of the ranch hands has a laser pointer. And we'll point up and say, okay, there is a craft to everybody, and you can see it with the naked eye. And the person will just mentally and but say it out loud, okay, move to the left. And then the ship goes, whoop, right? And you see it move. <laughs> and they move to the right. And, like, everybody in the Skywatch area is, like, screaming. They're, like, so excited that, you know, they're, that, it's, that they know that they have all connected to it. And then the mo- the coolest part is is when they say power up, and the craft turns on all its lights, and you see all of these this white light like a bright star getting bigger and bigger with all these colorful lights in it as well. Mm. And um, so that to me is amazing. Now Mount Adams. So when you're in the Skywatch area. If you look all the way down, uh, East Eddy Ranch is all this property for, gosh, I don't know if it's a couple of miles. And then Mount Adams is at the end of it, right? And yeah. now they, they say, the ranch hands say that there is a positive extraterrestrial base below there. And that oh, they boy. see ships going in and out of the mountain all the time. Now, on on the mountain at night, and I saw it when I was there, um, 
there's these anomalous lights that go woo, woo, woo. Some get bigger, some are like that. They just happen all over the mountain. We don't, nobody knows what it is. It's similar to the Marfa lights in Texas, which I talk about in the book, and also similar to the gigantic mountain plateau at Skinwalker Ranch. They have the same anomalous lights, and I talk about Skinwalker in here as well. And uh, so... We don't know if it's some kind of phenomena that, that has to do with the area or, or really what it is. Um, nobody knows. But it's, um, you know, it's fascinating to watch. And, uh, you know, my, my take on it is when you see, you know, a lot of people go, well, God, you know, you see these lights going in and out of the uh, mountain. And it's like, yeah, because mm-hmm. they they take their craft, they put it in the fourth dimension, they leave the light part here. That's why it looks like this plasma, and then it goes whoop. And then when they get to their destination, whoop, they're back, and you know, it's a solid hmm. form again. How do you like my sound effects? Was that good? I like. Them. I like. Them. Good. <laughs> good job. <laughs> they're great. Craig, that's great. <laughs> well, this is so yeah. much fun. I mean, this, you know, and I have to say, you know, at the same time, I my heart breaks for all the UFO abductees that have been through so much scrutiny and and so much. Right. In, it's just they've been through it. You know, been through the ringer with the government making their lives a living hell. And also, way back, not so much now anymore, but way back how people would, you know, not believe them. And right. so, they, right. you know, they're, they're yeah. courageous people to tell their story. And Travis is a standout they in really that, are. Betty and Barney Hill, uh, Betty yeah. and Bob, mm-hmm. Betty yeah. Andreasen, Bob Luca. They are all standouts oh. in this because they've endured so much to get their story out there, to tell the truth about what happened yes. to them so so people could begin to understand all of this. So, yeah, That's right. we have our That's heroes right. in this field. Mm-hmm. And, and by yes. the way, for people that um, are, are being abducted or whatever, I do have a whole section in the back of the book where you can call uh, various numbers for help. Um, we also have Yvonne Smith's contact in there. You know, uh, she's one of the number one that does regressions um, as well, and other hotlines and things that people can call where they can actually seek professional help. Um, and I also listed all of the UFO conferences and festivals in uh, the U.S. and Canada, so everybody has it at a glance and all their contact info. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, that's terrific. Yeah. I mean, this is and then this a section. become your your book is perfect timing, Craig, because all of this interest oh, in sure. UFOs <laughs> and and people really, you know, can benefit from reading, even if they don't visit any of these places, they can benefit right. from reading the stories about all of mm-hmm. them. You've given terrific information in here for people, and it's I mean, it's just I've never seen such a high interest level in this topic before. Yes. This is really, really exciting. 
I know, I know, and I and I know that because you know, even um, just doing this, I've been asked to be on so many um, television shows and things of that nature because it's really picking up. People want to know about extraterrestrials. So they do. I mean, it, they really and truly do. I was on uh, seven of the eight episodes of UFO Witness on Travel Channel. And I've just shot another uh, four different shows um, that are going to be airing at some time this year and at the beginning of next year, all about this stuff. And, That's um, terrific. You know, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's you know it's getting into the mainstream, like the like the paranormal world on Travel Channel. They're sort of mm-hmm. branching out and going into this other direction because there's so much interest. Yes, there is. The fear has been now, put aside long enough. Yeah. Go ahead, Patricia. Now, how can people the fear has been put aside for all of this to take place? People are finally yeah. opening their minds to the fact that it's a reality, not a fantasy. That's right. Right. Now, how can people get in touch with you? I mean, what if people want to throw some money into your film? Be involved as an investor or just tell you this story maybe for your next book. How can they reach you? Yeah, they can reach me. Uh, my website is autobiography of com, and they can email me through the website. Uh, they can get all of the autobiography of an extraterrestrial books there. And then that's on the home page. And if you click other books, you can order the UFO hotspot there. You can order the extraterrestrial species almanac, among a few other uh, things that I have on that page. And by the way, the UFO hotspot uh, isn't released until October 1st, but I have a whole mess of copies that I've already ordered from the publisher. So they want them early. They can order them on the website, and I will sign them to them and uh, autograph them. So nice. Yeah, so you can get it early before anybody else. Ah, uh, perfect. Well, Craig, thanks again so much for coming on the show tonight. It's been so much fun with you. Again, the name of the book oh, is the UFO Hotspot Compendium: All the Places to Visit Before You Die or Are Abducted. <laughs> well, next we'll be back next that. week, everybody. I love that. With another great it's show great. next week, it's Bigfoot. And until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls.